In case you did not notice, we are in the midst of the Christmas season. And I hope you enjoyed that kids' nativity. It's uh, always a joy to have the kids do that sort of thing. Not because it's merely entertaining, but because kids seem to have a unique way of reminding us of profound truths. So it's good, to, good for us to see that. It's good for us to enjoy that and be reminded of why we celebrate. I want to begin by asking you a question. If you remember a time, do you remember a time when you were excited to give a particular gift? Maybe you'd picked something out for a loved one, someone you care about, and you believed it was the right gift, it was the perfect gift. You were excited to give this gift. Can you think of a time when that happened? Why is it? Why is it that we have joy at times in giving good gifts? gifts. Well, I want to contend that it's because we are made in the image of God. You see, the Bible says that God created us in his image. God is the creator of everyone and everything, but he uniquely created man, male and female, in his image to show forth his character and nature, to show forth his goodness and glory to all the world. Sadly, we've all sinned, and because of our sin, the image of God has been tainted and corrupted in us, but it is not gone altogether. It has not been altogether lost. And so we still see glimpses of the image of God in us at certain times. And I believe when we give with joyful and cheerful hearts, that is one of the times where we are reflecting the image of God. For the Advent season, we are doing a four-part sermon series called Generous, as we are going through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and nine. And this morning we are going through 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And our primary goal in this sermon series is not to exhort you to just be more generous, but it's first of all to point you to the one true and living God who is himself exceedingly generous. We want you to know him. In knowing the one true and living God and understanding his generosity, you will be better able to reflect his image, his character and nature, his goodness and glory to the world. Second Corinthians was actually Paul's fourth letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. We only have two of his letters, God and his wisdom and his providence, kept two of those letters to be included in the scriptures. But Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians. And the letter that we have as Second Corinthians was actually his fourth letter. And he wrote this letter in the year A.D. 55 or 56. And he wrote it while he was in Macedonia during his third missionary journey. And while he was in Macedonia, he met Titus, who had returned from Corinth with news about the church there. After hearing the report from Titus, Paul wrote to the Corinthians addressing numerous things in this letter. And we see in chapters 8 and 9 that one of the reasons he wrote the letter was to prepare the Corinthians to take up a collection a financial gift in order to help Christians in Jerusalem who were in need. And it is within the context of preparing them to take up this financial gift that he taught them and encouraged them on the matter of generosity. So with that in mind, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. 
and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find out that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. In verse 1, Paul said, I know it's not necessary for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. And the ministry for the saints that he was referring to was this collection for the church in Jerusalem, this financial gift to help alleviate the poverty, the suffering, the famine that had come to the saints in Jerusalem. And the reason it was unnecessary for him to write about this was because he knew they were ready and eager to give this gift. They were ready and eager to support their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. They were ready and eager to meet this need. As a matter of fact, Paul had boasted about their readiness to the Christians in Macedonia. The Christians in Macedonia would have included the churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And he bragged to these churches that the Christians in Achaia, which included the Corinthians, had been ready to give this gift since the previous year. He had bragged about them. He had boasted about them to the Macedonians. He had said, they are ready to give. They are ready to meet this need. And in bragging about their readiness to give this gift, it encouraged uh, the churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea to give as, uh, give as well. He said, your zeal and your readiness, your eagerness to give has motivated them to give also. So Paul was saying, on the one hand, I know it's not really necessary for me to, to write to you about this because you're ready, you're eager. I've actually been bragging about you. I've been boasting about you. So I know it's not really necessary for me to write to you about this, but just in case, just to be safe, I am sending the brothers ahead to help you collect and organize this gift that you said you're going to give. I'm going to send some of, some of my brothers in Christ ahead of us so that they can help you organize, they can help you collect this gift, they can help you follow through with what you said you were going to do. He said, I just, I don't wanna, I wanna make sure I'm not bragging about you in vain. After all, that would be embarrassing for me and it would be embarrassing for you. And it would be awkward for the Macedonians, the ones I told that, that you were ready and eager to give this gift. Imagine if you're a, 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 men, a member of this church and you invite a friend to come on a, to a Sunday gathering such as this. And you tell her, look, this, this church family is so warm and so welcoming. They will greet you. They will welcome you. They will show you warm hospitality. You brag and you boast about this church. But then your friend comes and no one says anything to her. She gets this cold shoulder. You would be embarrassed. You would be humiliated. And if you told this to the rest of the church, we too would be embarrassed and humiliated, and it would be painfully awkward for your friend. First of all, I hope that never happens. Secondly, that might just give you an idea of what 
Paul was trying to avoid. That's the kind of situation that he was trying to avoid by sending some brothers ahead to help them organize and collect this financial gift that they had promised to give. So in order to avoid an awkward, embarrassing situation, Paul sent some brothers ahead to help the Corinthians follow through and bring to completion the gift that they were eager to give. It's one thing to say, yes, we would love to give to help our brothers and sisters in need. But what benefit are our words and good intentions if we don't follow through? What good is it if we say we are going to give but fail to do so? Paul did not want the Corinthians to fall into hypocrisy. The Corinthians had promised to give this gift. Their words indicated that they were going to generously serve their brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's the thing. It's easy to say the right thing. It's easy to say the right thing and give the appearance of being generous. It's easy to give the appearance of being kind. It's easy to give the appearance of being humble. It's easy to give the appearance of being a servant. It's easy to give the appearance of being godly. But brothers and sisters, the Lord is not deceived by our words and outward appearances. He knows our hearts and he sees our deeds. He knows when we say the right things but don't follow through. I don't know about you, but it would be painful and embarrassing for me if the Lord were to give me a book that recorded all the times I said I was going to do something but failed to follow through. Sadly, that would not be a small book. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be doers of the word. As God is graciously growing us to become more like Jesus, as God is working in us to restore his image in us, we need to do the things that Jesus did and walk in obedience to his commands. Now, we do need to be careful how we think about this. We are not saved by our good deeds. We do not earn a righteous standing before God by our good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 clearly says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We do not do good works to earn God's favor. We do not contribute to our salvation. If you are a Christian, God has saved you, and you have no reason to boast about this. We are saved by God's amazing grace through faith in Jesus Christ, which is a precious gift that we have done nothing to deserve. But, where I, but whereas we are not saved by good works, we are saved for good works. In the very next verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we read, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul wanted to be perfectly clear that we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. God has created us in Christ Jesus for good works. He doesn't want us to merely talk about doing good works, but he wants us to walk in them. Paul did not want the Corinthians to merely promise to give a gift, but wanted them to follow through and walk in generosity. On the one hand, he knew it was superfluous to write to them about the gift they were eager to give, but on the other hand, he sent some brothers ahead to make sure they followed through with the collection of the gift. 
But then in verse 6, Paul got to the heart of the matter. If in verses 1 through 4, Paul impressed on the Corinthians that they should give, in verses 6 through 7, he taught the Corinthians how they should give. He began, he began by saying, the point is this. And I just want to pause there and, and tell you that I, I really appreciate those words as a preacher. As a preacher, when I, say the, when I see the words, the point is this, I go, thank you. Because when any one of us, when one of us elders prepares a sermon, we spend a lot of time wrestling with a passage of scripture. We wrestle with the text and we try to answer a couple of important questions. We don't want to come to a sermon to bring our own ideas. We don't want to preach our own ideas, our own agenda. We want to preach God's word. And so when we look at a text that's been assigned to us, we wrestle with it and we try to answer a couple questions. We try to say, what does the text say? What is the content of the text? And then we try to say, why is it in there? The Bible could be much larger than it is, but God, again, in his wisdom, has included exactly what we need in his word. He has a purpose for everything that is in scripture. So we try to understand the content and we try to discern God's intent. In other words, we're trying to say, what is the point? So when Paul says, the point is, I go, thank you. You just made my life a lot easier. It's the equivalent of an underhand pitch for a preacher. He just tees it up for me so I can say, thank you. I appreciate this. Hopefully I don't mess it up at this point. So Paul said, the point is this. In regard to this whole discussion on giving, Paul said it comes down to this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In order to make this point, he used an agricultural illustration. Everybody knows that all things being equal, if a farmer sows a little seed, he will reap a small harvest, and if he sows abundantly, he will reap a plentiful harvest. And Paul said the same is true with giving. If you're tight-fisted with your money, if you're tight-fisted with your possessions, your resources, your time, if you're tight-fisted, if you sow a little, then you should not expect to reap abundantly you should not expect a plentiful harvest conversely if you are generous with your money with your possessions with your time with your with your resources then you should expect to reap a plentiful harvest you should expect god's blessings in your life god blesses those who sow generously now you might be able to think of an example of someone who became financially wealthy, at least in part because they were very stingy or tight-fisted with their money. It's almost like a modern-day Ebenezer Scrooge, who, if you recall, begrudgingly gave his clerk, Bob Cratchit, Christmas Day off with pay, but likened it to being pickpocketed. He was stingy. He was tight-fisted, and he became wealthy. So you might think, well, there are examples of that. There are real-life examples of that. So how does that fit with what the Scripture says here? Doesn't that disprove God's Word? Well, I think it would be a big mistake for us to conclude from verse 6 that if someone is tight-fisted with their money, they'll never become financially wealthy. And also, if someone is generous with their money, they will necessarily become financially wealthy. But we can conclude that whatever one might gain by being stingy or tight-fisted won't be worth it. On the other hand, what we gain from being open-handed and generous will be worth it. God will bless those who are generous. I think it's important for us to practice this individually 
and corporately as a church. We seek to practice this corporately with our church budget. The money in our budget is used to fund the ministry of our church. And Lord willing, we are sowing seeds here in Snohomish through the ministry of our church. But we also seek to sow bountifully by committing to giving money away to other ministries. We do not use the money that is received exclusively for the ministry of this church. Each year, we give thousands of dollars away to local ministries such as Abundant Life, the Pregnancy Resource Center, and Living Hope. And these ministries are doing an excellent job caring for people in need, providing practical and material resources, particularly pregnant women who are in a tough spot. They do a good job caring for them and loving for them, providing them with practical help. They do an excellent job doing the work of trying to save the precious lives of unborn children. And it is a joy to partner with them to this end. It is, it is a joy to sow seeds into these ministries. We also give thousands of dollars each year to ministries that are working to spread the gospel all over the world. We support ministries such as the Three Strand Network, Nine Marks, Multiplication Network Ministries, and Catalyst Church in Eagle River. And again, this is a joy to, to, to sow seeds, to sow generously into other ministries that are working to advance the gospel all over the world. We want to be generous. We don't want to be tight-fisted with, with our church budget. Rather, we want to be open-handed and generous, and we want to sow seeds in our community and across the world that people might receive the love and care of Jesus Christ and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to do this individually as well. We want to be people who are generous in our giving. We want to be people who use the money that God has given us, use the resources that God has given us to sow plentifully. If you are a Christian, do you look for opportunities to be generous? Do you pray for and look for opportunities to be generous with what the Lord has given you? Do you look to be generous in your giving to the church, in your giving to those in need, and how you serve others? Do you pray for and look for these opportunities? Or is giving just an afterthought? Is giving something you just do reluctantly, even somewhat begrudgingly? I want to encourage you. Pray that God will give you a generous heart so that you will look for these opportunities. Do not let anything get in the way of you being generous. God tells us in his word that whoever sows bountifully reaps bountifully. You will not regret being generous. In verse 7, Paul went on to say, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We've already seen that followers of Christ should give generously, and here we see that they should also give willingly. The reason that Paul sent the brothers ahead to organize and collect the money from the Corinthians was so that the money would be ready as a willing gift and not taken as an exaction. He did not want them to give because they felt pressured by Paul to do so. And so here we see Paul walking a line. On the one hand, he's exhorting them and he's encouraging them to be generous in giving. And he's reminding them that God blesses those who are generous. On the other hand, he's not wanting them to give just because he's pressuring them to do so. So he's trying to walk this line of encouraging them to be generous, exhorting them to be generous, but not pressuring them to do so so that they give reluctantly. We are commanded to give generously, but if we are only doing so out of a sense of obligation or because we feel external pressure, then we are not giving with the right attitude of the heart. 
Followers of Jesus should give generously, not because we feel pressured to do so, but because we want to do so. Moreover, when we give, we should do so cheerfully. A cheerful giver is one who is happy to give, who delights to give, who finds joy in giving. And wouldn't it be amazing if all of us were filled with true joy and happiness all the time in giving, in being generous? I think we need to ask, what are the things that might hinder us? What might get in the way of us giving cheerfully? I think one of the things that gets in the way of being a cheerful giver is the desire to accumulate more stuff. I think it's easy to fall into the temptation of wanting better, newer, faster, and bigger stuff. And when our hearts are set on getting those things, whatever they might be, giving becomes something that gets in the way of getting what we want. When we are chasing after stuff, we do not delight in giving and we are never satisfied. It reminds me of a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at a well, which we read about in John chapter 4. Jesus asked her if she would give him some water as she came to draw water from this well. And she was surprised that he was talking to her because he was a Jewish man. She was a Samaritan woman. He was crossing all kinds of lines and boundaries. It was an unexpected thing for him to even engage her in conversation. But he said, listen, if you knew who you were talking to, I would give you water that truly satisfies He said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water in the well is similar to so many things that we chase after. So many things we chase after leave us thirsting again. You get something new. You're satisfied for a moment but then you're going to thirst for something newer in a couple of years. The things that we chase after leave us thirsty. But Jesus said, I alone can truly satisfy you. Jesus alone satisfies the deepest longings of our souls. When you are satisfied in Jesus, you find joy in giving and you become free from the unsatisfying pursuit of accumulating more stuff. Brothers and sisters, what gives you more joy? Giving or accumulating? I want to encourage you to pray that the Lord will give you more joy and happiness in giving than in receiving or accumulating. And what a powerful statement we read in God's word where it says God loves a cheerful giver. What greater motivation is there than that? God loves the person who happily gives generously. He delights in us when we willingly and happily give generously the reason he delights in us when we willingly and happily give generously is because we reflect his character and nature when we do so he is generous if you're not a christian our goal is not to convince you that you should live a generous life rather our desire is to persuade you to believe in the one true and living god who is himself exceedingly generous as i said in the beginning god is the creator of everyone and everything and he created us in his image to know him to love him, to obey him, to enjoy him, to glorify him. He created us for this wonderful purpose, but we have all sinned against him. We have all rejected his purpose for our lives. Every single one of us is guilty before the Lord, but God in his mercy and his kindness has provided a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to him so that we can enjoy him as our father in his glorious kingdom for all of eternity. 
And he did so at great cost to himself. He did so by providing us with an incredibly generous gift. And we read this in John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God has given us the most precious gift of all. He has given us a gift of infinite value, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And Jesus Christ gave his life at the cross. He took the punishment for our sins so that whoever believes in him will be saved. If you're not a Christian, our greatest desire is that you will know Jesus, that you will believe in him and be saved, that you will know that God has been generous to you, that he has given you the most precious gift of all. Returning to our passage here in 2 Corinthians 9, we see that in verse 8, God provides for us. He gives us what we need in order to become like him in generosity. Paul said that he gives us his grace in abundance. He fills us with his grace so that his grace overflows in our lives. He also said that God gives us what we need. God is able to provide for us in such a way that we are sufficient in all things at all times. He knows what we need and he provides for us. And why? Why does he do this? Why does he give us his grace and abundance? And why does he provide for all of our needs? So that we may excel in every good work. God generously gives to us and provides what we need so that we may excel in good works. We are not saved by good works. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but we are saved for good works, and we are called to excel in good works. Paul encourages readers to excel in good works by quoting from Psalm 112. And Psalm 112 is a companion psalm to Psalm 111. In Psalm 111, the Psalter praises God for who He is, celebrating the great works that the Lord has done for His people. Then in Psalm 112, the Psalter focuses on the moral character of the faithful and the benefits such people bring to themselves and others. In Psalm 112, verse 9, we read, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. So you see, the righteous person is the person whose character reflects the character of God. In Psalm 111, we have the character of God and we have his good works. And then in Psalm 112, we have the character of the righteous person and his or her good works. And so it's when we are reflecting the character and the image of God that we walk in good works, that we show forth his goodness and glory. And one of the good works that we are called to excel in is willingly and happily giving generously. So I want to ask you, would your giving be characterized as willing, generous, and cheerful? Are you showing forth the image of God in the way that you give? Brothers and sisters, God is generous. He is generous with you. We deserve no good thing from Him, yet He gives us all good things in Jesus Christ. And as followers of Christ, we are called to reflect his image, his goodness and his glory, his character and nature. And we are to do so by excelling in good works. We are to do so by giving generously, willingly and happily giving 
generously. And as we do so, we will show forth the goodness and glory of our great God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. You are awesome. There is no one like you. We praise you for your generosity. You are the giver of good gifts, and you have given us the most precious gift of all, the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we receive the forgiveness of sins, through whom we are reconciled to you and given eternal life. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you for your good gifts. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that we will receive from you and in turn be generous as you are generous. We pray that we will be a people who reflect your character and nature, your goodness and glory to the world around us. We pray that people will see you in us. We pray that we will excel in good works. We pray that we will be a people who happily, willingly give generously. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.